the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Season Watch with Wendy Scott, where we observe the things coming on the earth through biblical binoculars, because the Bible is both timely and timeless. With her master's degree in rhetoric and writing skills, Wendy is a part-time college professor, but a full-time truth professor. She believes the Word of God is His perfect revelation, including a young earth six-day creation, as well as the global flood inundation, and that Israel is God's chosen nation. Faith alone in Jesus is salvation, the true church rapture comes pre-tribulation, followed by Christ's millennial domination and His eternal kingdom with Earth's regeneration. Jesus is coming without hesitation. And now, here's Wendy with today's topic. Friends, thank you for joining me with Season Watch today, and we'll just begin with prayer as we need it, (laughs) for goodness sakes. Well, Lord, we just praise you. We thank you for all the um, promises that you've given us about when you see these things, look up, your redemption is near. And so, Those of us who love you and have trusted in you, help us to just keep our eyes fastened on you, on your son, to follow him, to know him, and uh, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death or the beautiful path, whichever you've set before us in this crazy time. Help us to be a blessing to others, a light to others. Help us to follow you through all these things. Uh, Lift us up. Give us peace. Give us joy, even in the challenges, even in the difficulty, even in the confusion, Lord, and just uh, just use us, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, my goodness, friends, there's so much going on. We might be on the verge of World War III. I understand that uh, they've been saying that, of course, but um, I understand that there's, they're suspecting that NATO might want to get involved with um, Russia and Ukraine now, and I don't know. It's crazy, and of course, it's escalating in the Middle East, and uh, China is getting a good long look at Taiwan and saying, hey, if America's not going to say anything uh, about all this stuff, let's just jump in there. And so we're seeing, we're living in those labor pains that Jesus described as a sign uh, of his soon return for the church, and when he would begin opening those seals of judgment on a Christ-rejecting world. We see this in Matthew 24, beginning at verse 7. For the nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines, pestilence, earthquakes in various places. Aren't we seeing these? And all these things are the beginning of labor pains or sorrows, depending on your translation. And many will be offended and will betray one another and will hate one another. And then, of course, Paul talks about the lawlessness and the idea that um, there's iniquity and lawlessness and just crazy stuff, and we're seeing it more and more. But there's also a process of normalization going on so that these drastic changes in our world and culture um, start running in the background, just like a little program on your computer. And in the background of our lives, these crazy things are going on, and we're just trying to live normal lives um, until we have to confront them directly, maybe something Um, comes into our life directly. And until then, we just kind of go, yep, another thing. And if you've ever heard testimonies of people who've had to endure long exposures to trauma or distress or injustice, they find a way to normalize it and focus on just survival. And they often shut out the horrors around them. And even when trauma takes away a loved one, survival 
forces them to keep moving forward and not to stop and think about the circumstances beyond their need to survive. And if you've ever been in a car accident or experienced a crime, there's often this surreal veil that covers the events and even short circuits normal perceptions and thinking. And it's only later that we can process events realistically. And so we have a normalizing happening in our culture right now so that we're less alarmed as abnormal things disrupt and alter our previous expectations for how life should proceed. And it doesn't take long to ingrain a sense of normalization concerning these abnormal conditions. Satan and his agents know this, and so they create narratives for normalization and messages in order to train the public to alter their thinking about something. And this process is most effective with young people who are easy to indoctrinate into uh, these changing ideas. They haven't been here very long, and so they have no sense of history. And they believe whatever the culture says over and over, and it doesn't even cross their minds that things used to be a different way or that narratives fed to them contradict facts or history or even common sense. They don't even consider opposing ideas because they have been thoroughly isolated from hearing them. And by the time they're exposed to other facts and ideas, they're already impermeable against them. Perhaps you've noticed that. Look at how COVID trained us to obey authority based on the narrative of fear that that same authority fed to us. That's nuts. Look at how January 6th trained us to surrender our constitutional rights and censor ourselves, right? We don't want to be seen as the bad guys or terrorists, right? Look how BLM riots trained us to accept the lies that divide us along racial divide and to basically just throw up everything that we believed and understood about building relationships with one another. Look at how October 7th attack on Israel trained us to dismiss brutal rape, mutilation, slaughter, and all manner of barbarity, and then to blame the victims and support the barbarians. You see, we're being trained. Each crisis is being used to train us to normalize wickedness, to obey authority, and to uh, become callous to human suffering and to believe lies by repeating and reinforcing them endlessly through social media, culture, entertainment, government propaganda, forced compliance, and finally, threats to our very way of life. And so right now, the level of brutality, human suffering, and slavery at the hands of wicked people is higher than ever before around the world. But what we see, we normalize and we ignore the rest that's just below the surface. Right now, tyrannical entities are seizing power and brutalizing people around the world because no one is calling them out. And the media only feeds us the stories that it wants to tell. And America is a champion of an underdog, but now we only care about what is told us to care about. That's terrible. And so we're experiencing the conditions that Jesus described concerning the last days. We see this in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 37. But as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and given in marriage until the day Noah entered in the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away so will the coming of the Son of Man be. And so Jesus compares the end uh, the end days to Noah and to Lot's day, he does in another verse, to reveal how the world will devote into, devolve into great wickedness before his return. But people will hardly notice, right? They go about their normal lives, eating, drinking, giving in marriage, ha, ha, ha. And, and that's what we're seeing. We're normalizing it, and we're just being oblivious. And then just as in Noah's time, God brought him safely into the ark. Because he was righteous. And he did in Lot's time also. God removed Lot and Sodom, both of them, 
out of his, the path of his judgment before he poured out his judgment on the wicked world. And so Jesus said the last days will be like that. And so he promised that the faithful who trust in him, just like Noah, just like Lot, that they will also be brought into safety before the outpouring of judgment in the tribulation. And we see this in Matthew twenty four forty as well as other verses. Then two men will be in the field. One will be received and the other left. Watch there. Uh, two women will be grinding in the mill. One will be received and the other one will be left. Verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Therefore, also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour you do not expect. We're called to be ready, ready for him to come take us at that moment, the way that the angels showed up and escorted Lot out. It was uh, supernatural, the way that God had Noah build an ark and warned him and told him and preserve the life of, of, of all the animals. And so... Um, God uses those who love him to warn others of the coming judgment, of the great tribulation that's coming, so that people can have a chance to accept his free gift um, His free gift now and to be spared from the judgment because we are not appointed to experience God's wrath. And so Jesus gives hope to his followers. We see in Luke 21, starting in verse 31. So you also, when you see these things begin to happen, know that the kingdom of God is near, right? Those labor pains we're seeing. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation that see these things will by no means pass away till all of these things that he described will come to pass. Verse 35, for it will come as a snare on the whole world, all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Verse 36, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. That's the escape. And so Jesus is provided for it. And friend, if you don't know if you're going right now, this is the time to decide, yes, let me in. I accept your payment for my sins, Jesus. I'm a sinner. I want to go to heaven. I want to be taken out of here into your care um, rather than live through your judgment, which is righteous. And so anyway, I talk to a lot of people and both believers and non-believers, so-called believers, often object to God sending people to hell. And they say, what kind of God would send people to hell and punish God? It's just terrible. My God wouldn't do such a thing. And I, I don't know who your God is, but even Satan hates your soul. I, I meet Satanists, and I tell them, why do you, why you follow Satan? He hates you. He's destroying your soul. He's, he's going to take you to hell with him, and he hates you. And they don't have an answer for that. But people don't like the idea that God will judge the world in the tribulation, and that's because their eyes have closed to the evil around them. And by doing so, they kind of give consent to this wickedness, and likely it's so they can also say and do every man what is right in their own eyes. And that's what Romans talks about to a high degree. And God was faithful to provide salvation for free to anyone who receive it through the gift of his son. And he was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world, as we saw in Revelation thirteen eight. But he is a just God and must judge wickedness. Those who reject that free payment and refuse to turn from their sins cannot be rewarded with eternal life. In his holy kingdom, that wouldn't make any sense. Would we want Hitler to be welcome in heaven without repentance, without paying the cost? Uh, Do we want rapists and murderers to receive the same reward as we do for their brutality? Uh, Who of you would have liked to run into your worst oppressor in heaven? And since there's obviously no judgment, they can oppress you again and just keep oppressing you, right? Because there's no right, there's no wrong, there's no judgment. You can do what you want for all eternity. See, it doesn't make sense, does it? And so, yes, friends, Jesus is the lamb slain for us from the foundation of the world. He is that great shepherd uh, for those who love him. But today, fasten your truth belts as we discuss Jesus, the lion 
of the tribe of Judah. And so last week we discussed Jesus as a good shepherd, and he claims that those who want to hear the truth will follow him. So we look at John 10, 11. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. Verse 17, therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. Verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Be sure you follow him, right? And so we are to follow him through the good and the bad and not to wander off to the right or to the left. All the promises are for those who follow him and know him, not reject him, not say we don't need you. And these are just as what David described of the shepherd in Psalm 23. Many of you have this memorized, so if you can, let's say it together. Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Right? That's a good study there of how Jesus is our good shepherd for those who trust in him. And so we see God has always been the shepherd of those who love him, and his promises are for this life and for the life to come, but only those who trust him and love the truth, right? And there's an interesting verse in the Gospels when Jesus says in Matthew 15, as he's describing the Pharisees, the Pharisees who love to lord over the people and control their faith. And he says in Matthew 15, 14, let, the, let them alone of the Pharisees. They are the blind leaders of the blind, And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. And we see here that Jesus is saying that the corrupt leaders do not represent the true God and actually work against God for their own benefit, and that those who follow them are also blind. He seems to suggest that those who love the truth won't be fooled by their pompous hypocrisy and false doctrine, right? My sheep hear my voice. And we see that indeed many who deep down wanted the truth back in Jesus' day were searching and leaderless. And when Jesus ministered to them, we see in Matthew 9, he described that the common people and even the sinners sought him out. And we see it in Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And that's us. We're the laborers sent out to give the good news. Many people have never heard the simple gospel. They've just been told lies. How can they make a decision if they haven't heard the truth? Which is what we hear all throughout the Bible, just like in Romans, right? How can they hear? How can they believe if someone is not sent to tell them? And so we must understand that, yes, Jesus is the good shepherd. He is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. But he is also the Lion of the tribe of Judah, who will rule and reign the earth for 1,000 years, putting down the throne of the Antichrist that will arise and Satan, and then assuming his rightful authority over the whole earth at the end of the tribulation. And we see this transition from Lion to Lamb when Jesus in Revelation 5 receives the scroll and his inheritance. So we see in Revelation 5, 1, 
And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or take a look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and to read the scroll or to look at it. Verse 5, But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. Revelation 5, 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of the four living creatures, in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent into the whole earth. Verse 7. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. So this is the moment in heaven after the church has been raptured at the start of the great tribulation, just as Jesus described in his sixth letter to the church of Philadelphia. So we're raptured according to um, the description in Revelation 3.8 to Philadelphia. It says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door and no one can shut it. For you have a little strength. You have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's the true church. Verse 10, because you have kept my command to persevere, I also will keep you from the hour of trial, which is to come and to try the whole world, to test those who dwell on the earth. And so John had been told at the beginning of Revelation in Jesus chapter uh, 1, he says in verse 18, I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys to hell and death. So he's earned the keys to hell and death. Judgment is in his hand. Verse 19, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. And so Jesus instructs John to witness the revelation of Jesus delivered to him that God gave him to deliver to John to reveal to his followers and who he truly is and the tribulation events that are to come and the transition to Jesus's 1000 year reign with the saints, those who trust with the lamb. And then we see in Revelation 4, 1, John experiences a simulated rapture to bring him into heaven to witness these events in order to write them down for the church to know the things to come, as he said. So we see Revelation 4, 1. After these things, I looked and behold, the door standing open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, right? And so we understand that the church will be raptured to heaven before the tribulation judgment, and we will witness the events that John was given beforehand for us. And this is why the pre-tribulation rapture is vital in our beliefs, because as the bride of Jesus, we will witness him receive the deed to the earth, open the seals of judgment, and thereby witness the process of taking his inheritance for himself and for his followers. Friends, study Revelation, and you'll understand that the church must witness and be partakers in Jesus' inheritance and reward for his faithful sacrifice. And look at verse 1 that I read earlier, the verse I read earlier, Revelation 5.5. But one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And then we saw it was a lamb slain, right? And so we see that 
uh, worthy, in verse uh, 12, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And so Jesus laid down his life as the lamb to buy the whole earth, to pay for the sins of the whole world. And now he is the lion of the tribe of Judah receiving his inheritance. And so this is the moment when the lamb transforms into the lion who will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Yahoo! And the scroll is the deed to the earth, which Jesus bought with all he had. Remember Jesus' parable in Matthew 13, beginning in verse 44. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid for joy. And he goes out and sells all that he has and buys that field. So the man sold all that he had and bought the whole field, not just the treasure. Just as Jesus uh, paid the cost to buy the whole world, not only those who would accept it, but the whole world, right? And we see in John one twenty nine. Uh, the next day, Jesus sees uh, John sees Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. And we see John 3.16, as we know, For God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. 1 John 2.2 2. And he is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And so we see Jesus paid for the sins of the whole world, that just to buy the, buy the sins of the precious few who would receive it. And he bought the whole world and paid for the sins of the whole world himself. Therefore, he has inherited the whole world and will rule over it for the thousand years after the tribulation. He will judge the sinners in righteousness because he paid the debt for all their sins. And now those who reject his payment owe him the debt, right? He bought the debt. Creditors do the same thing. Hey, I bought your debt. Now you owe me. And they, they hound you, right? So Jesus paid for the debt. You can either receive it freely as a gift or you can pay him back. And so we see that he will be the lion ruling the nations with a rod of iron, as Psalm 2 describes, because he's the owner of the whole world. He bought it. And those who remain alive at the end of the tribulation will bow their knee to Jesus, whether they want to or not, because he owns the world. He paid for it and for the sins of the whole world. And we actually see this principle in Jeremiah 32, which is a tradition of the near kinsman and the rightful heir as a right to redeem land for purchase price. So we look at, this is a picture that Jesus, uh, uh, that points to Jesus when he would do the same thing. Jeremiah 32, 6. And Jeremiah said, the word of the Lord came to me saying, behold, Hananiel, the son of Shalom, your uncle will come to you saying, buy my field, which is an Anatoth for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Verse 9, so I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle who was in Anatoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. Verse 10, and I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Barak, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, ah, <laughs> the presence of Hanamiel, the uncle's son, and in the presence of witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. 
Verse 14, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these deeds, both the purchase deed, which is sealed, and the deed, which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel, that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. And so we see a picture of purchasing and having a scroll and witnesses to sign the deed and to verify it. And Daniel was shown the moment when the Messiah would actually receive his dominion in this same way. Daniel seven thirteen. I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages would serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one which shall never be destroyed. This is just as Jesus prayed before his disciples in John 17, verse 24. Father, I desire that they also who you gave me will be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me, for you love me before the foundation of the world. And those who love him will witness as he takes the world back from Satan. He's owned the deed. He's the rightful heir, the rightful heir of the whole world. Just as described in Revelation eleven fifteen. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Amen. And those who love him will return to reign with him in righteousness. He will open the seals of the deed that he paid for with his own blood, with his precious gift of his life. And when we see him, we'll be amazed. We want to go and be with him, and we want to share the love of him, the promises of redemption. So friends, go out and do that today. Please don't hold back. And until next week, God bless you all. Join Wendy Scott every Saturday at 3 p.m. on K-Praise for another episode of Season Watch. Previous episodes can be found through the K-Praise podcast platform, where you can also access Wendy's other platforms and contact links. Please email Wendy with show comments, questions, or suggestions at wscott at mywordsforhim.com or visit her website at mywordsforhim.com for additional resources. Watch other teachings on her Rumble channel. Wendy's Words for Him, her fiction novel, The Lost, A Story of Christmas, can be found on Amazon. Until next week, watch, therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.